Well, happy Resurrection Church, Sunday Church. Good morning, church. <laughs> you know, as I was growing up, uh, one of the traditions in the church that I went to was that the person on the stage would say, he has risen. And then everyone out there in the crowd would say, he has risen indeed. And so I just wondered if we could do that today, just so I could feel like I'm uh, part of living out my home church there. So I'll say, he has risen. You'll say back to me, he has risen indeed. Let's try it. He has risen. That sounded pretty good. Let's do it one more time. He has risen. He has risen indeed. He has risen. I'm so excited to worship with you this morning on this Easter Sunday morning. And let me just say, I was watching y'all as you were coming in and taking your pictures. Y'all are looking good. You're looking good. Why don't you tell the person next to you, you're looking good. Got your Easter clothes on. Don't be hitting on people now. That would be weird. But, but. Man, you're a good-looking crowd. You got your Easter clothes on. I got my Easter resurrection shoes on. And uh, so it's so good to be with you today. I'm excited to celebrate worship with you. And, uh, and I want to especially welcome all of our guests this morning. If you're a guest to Warehouse Church, uh, we just want to say welcome to you. My name is Rick. I have the joy of being the pastor here. And, and I also want to remind, uh, don't, I don't want to forget all of our online worshipers. And we're so glad that for those of us that are joining online, uh, it's so good to have you with us as well. And this morning, we're kicking off a brand new conversation called the Easter Challenge. The Easter Challenge. And for the next five weeks, the next five weeks, we are inviting you to join us on a journey, to join us on a journey of digging deeper or chasing a deeper understanding of what it means to live this life that God is calling us to live. And maybe you've been wondering that. Maybe you've been wondering, well, what is my purpose in life? Why, what is God calling me to? Well, I want to invite you to join us for the next few weeks as we talk about that, as we have a conversation about what it means to live God's calling on our lives. And today, today we're going to discover that Easter changed everything. And I'm super excited about today's message. And, and I'll tell you, um, I've been praying about today's message. I have written three separate messages for today this week. And I'm like, oh, I want this one. No, I want to do this one. No, I want to do this one. And so I finally decided I had to give something to James. And so we were going with this one after praying about it. So I'm super excited about this idea that Easter changed everything. And next week, we're going to talk about how we need each other. We're going to talk about how because the tomb was empty, that we need one another, that we need community. In week three, we're going to celebrate the fact that God has left us his word to help us to navigate through this thing that we called life, and we could use all the help that we can get to navigate through life. In week four, we're going to talk about our mission. We're going to talk about why we're here, because God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of your lives. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what our mission is. And then in week five, the last week, we're going to see that in our journey together, in our journey with Jesus, that the sky is the limit to where he might take us, that God's got such amazing plans for you. God has such amazing plans for a warehouse church, and the sky is the limit to where he wants to take us. But today... Today, let's begin by looking at and talking about how the empty tomb, how the empty grave, how Jesus rising from the dead changed everything. Before we do, though, I'm curious, how many of y'all are wearing a cross this morning? Anyone wearing a cross? Raise your hand. Just raise your hand if you're wearing a cross. All right, so a few of you are wearing a cross. That's good. Now, now let me do this. Did anyone get a cross for Easter? Did anyone get a cross as a gift for Easter? We had one in the first service. Anyone here? 
Okay, no one got a cross for Easter. That's okay, that's okay. Because I've always thought this. I thought if you don't like to give chocolate bunnies and you don't like to give jelly beans, that a cross would make a great Easter present. And as a matter of fact, today I want to give away a few crosses. And I want to give away a few crosses to a few special people. And so uh, I'm going to ask uh, Michaela and I'm going to ask Emma if you guys would help me uh, out here for a minute. And so uh, Emma, you're going to give away the guy cross. And Michaela, you're going to give away the girl cross. But hold on just a second. So here's what I want to do is uh, if you are a first-time guest to Warehouse Church, we want to uh, give one or two of you a special gift. And so if this is your first time here, raise your hand. If this is your first time here, we're not going to make you say your name or anything, I promise. So we got a couple over here. Uh, anyone else? Anyone else? First-time guest? Got a couple of Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up because Michaela and Emma are going to go and, and hand out two crosses. And so we got some really cool cross necklaces that we want to give as a gift. So Emma, you go ahead. Uh, there's a couple in the back too. So um, uh, all right, we got it. There's one. There's two. Let's give these guys a big hand. So... Uh, so we got a really uh, cool, beautiful, girly cross for the lady, and then we have a really manly, cool, rustic cross for the guy. So uh, hopefully we didn't mix them up, or it'll be weird. But, uh, but uh, so just wanted to say Happy Easter. Thanks for being with us today, a little gift for you. And, uh, and so um, there are so many different kinds of crosses, though, aren't there? I mean, as you look in the world, you see all kinds of different crosses that we wear around our necks and necklaces and maybe around our, uh, wear around our wrists or wherever you might wear one. And, and some are beautiful and elegant, right? Like some crosses are just so delicate and beautiful. They got diamonds or gold or shiny. Uh, and some are, are, like I said, are rustic and cool. And they, they might be made of nails or they might be, um, they might be like made of wood and they look very cool. And, and here's the deal. The crosses are special and they're a special piece of jewelry. Not because of their beauty and, and not because they're cool, the cool factor or not even because of who gave it to you. But crosses are special because what they symbolize, what they mean. That's what makes a cross symbol. And originally, the cross was a tool that Rome used to execute, execute criminals. And, and, and more than 2,000 years ago, and it was a symbol of torture and it was a symbol of humiliation and it was a uh, symbol of death. And so 2,000 years ago, if you were walking around Jerusalem uh, wearing a cross around your neck, you might as well have been wearing like a little electric chair around your neck because that's what it meant. That's what it symbolized. That's what it stood for is death and torture and humiliation. And the fact that such an ugly instrument has become such a thing of elegance and beauty and hope is a testimony and clear picture of what Easter is all about. You see, when Jesus came up out of the grave on Easter morning, it changed everything. So let's just say that together. Easter changed everything. Say it with me one more time. Easter changed everything. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up with me to Matthew chapter 28 or your Bible app. Um, we're going to read Matthew's account, the, the, the Apostle Matthew. We're going to read his account of that first Easter morning. And this is a story that some of you may be really familiar with. And I just want to encourage you to hear it as if you're hearing it for the first time. Look at it with fresh eyes. Like maybe put yourself in the position of one of the characters in the story. Or maybe imagine yourself sitting in the garden and, and watching the events take place that we're about to read. But I want you to hear it for the first I don't want you to check out and say, oh, I've heard this before. But I want you to really listen to the story. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. It said, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week. So Sunday was the first day of the week. 
and, and, and Jewish tradition. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, I imagine that Mary and Mary were both feeling depressed. They were feeling saddened. They were at the loss of their friend Jesus, at the one that was supposed to be the Savior. And so they go to the tomb where they laid him, uh, maybe to find comfort, maybe to find some hope, maybe just to, to, uh, to console one another in their mourning. And it says they went to the tomb, and, and, and it says in verse 2, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and then sat on it. I love that picture uh, of, the, of this angel showing up. And any time in the, in the New Testament when you see that an angel appeared, the angel always says these words, don't be afraid. So the angels must have been something of a, of a something to look at. They must have been bright and fearful looking. And, and, and so the angel says, do not be afraid. And then he sits up on the rock, right? Like he just plops down on the rock. I love in the video how the angel was blowing bubbles, right? Like this is don't be afraid and she's blowing bubbles. And maybe, maybe something like that was happening. But the angel, I imagine that as he's sitting on the rock, he's got this smile on his face and he's saying to the women, don't be afraid. It goes on and it says his appearance was, was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So the Roman officials and the Jewish officials, they, they assigned guards to guard the tomb because they were afraid that the disciples were going to come and steal the body of Jesus later on in the evening. And there they are and they see the angel and they fall on the ground as if they were dead. And then the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And then check out what he says next. He is not here. Say that with me. He is not here. And here's the best part. He has risen. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. The angel's like, come on in. Come on into the tomb. Check it out. Look for yourself. Inspect. Look in every corner. You're not going to find him in there because he's not here. Verse 7, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And then suddenly Jesus met them. Jesus appears to the ladies and he says, greetings. And they came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go, tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I don't know if you caught it or not, but in this passage, it says, Matthew reminds us and tells us that the angel says, check it out, he's not here. He's been telling you that he's going to do this thing. He's been telling you that he's going to die, and on the third day, he's going to raise from the dead. He's been telling you that all throughout the gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. He's been telling the disciples that. They didn't get it. They've run. They're afraid. They're hiding. And then Matthew says, the angel tells the ladies, he's not here. He has risen just like he told you he would do. Jesus has conquered death and risen from the dead, and that changed everything forever. And so today, as we think about how Easter changed everything, I want to introduce you to two guys. 
I want to introduce you to two guys named Dan and Harry. Now, Dan, Dan was a pastor, uh, and he was a pastor of a church, and he realized that he was becoming irrelevant. He was realizing that he was getting out of touch with community. He was getting out of touch with the world and that, that he, needed to, uh, he needed to become relevant again. He needed to get involved in something. So he talked to the leadership of his church and with their approval, uh, he got a part-time job at the local Starbucks coffee shop to gain a fresh perspective on what's going on, to, to mingle with people that weren't like him. And, and to his surprise, as Dan got to know his, the people that he worked with, he discovered that all 21 people that he worked with, they believed in God, that there wasn't one atheist in the bunch. And he thought for sure that, that he would work with a bunch of people who didn't believe in God, but they were all positive towards God and towards spirituality. And the author goes on and says, and a second surprise for Dan was that all of them were interested in spiritual things, that all 21 of the workers were interested in spiritual things, but... They weren't interested in Christians and Christianity and church. That not one of those 21 wanted to hear Dan's proofs for God. That not one of those 21 wanted to hear about his invitations to church or his ideas about salvation. That they weren't interested in church and they weren't interested in Christianity, but they were interested. All they wanted to know about was God and spirituality. You see, at some point along the way, each of those workers had a bad experience with Christianity. And maybe a Christian friend had been hypocritical or maybe a Christian friend had been too pushy or, or maybe when they were young, they attended church and they found out that it was boring and irrelevant. Uh, maybe they watched TV preachers and, and they had been turned off or maybe they had experienced a tragedy or a, a death or a sexual abuse or some kind of trauma in their lives and they just felt like God had been distant or didn't care about them. No matter what, they didn't have a connection with church. They didn't feel connected at all. And Richardson said that Dan wasn't at ground zero, but rather that he was at minus three or four. And that the biggest thing that Pastor Dan learned from his experience is that people in this generation, that they had trust issues with the church, right? Like they had been burned by the church or by Christians and that he had to address those issues first before having a spiritual conversation with them. Pastor Dan discovered how the outside viewed the inside church people. And you might get that. Like you might relate to that. Like maybe you come to church just on Christmas and Easter because you believe in God, like you believe in spiritual things. And maybe you're very positive towards God but and spirituality, but somehow there's been a disconnect that has taken place. Maybe you can relate. Uh, maybe it's been a bad experience with other Christians or, or maybe there's a bad experience at a local church or perhaps like the folks at Starbucks, you've just found it to be boring and irrelevant. Now let me introduce you to Harry. That's Pastor Dan's story. But let me introduce you to Harry. Harry found himself in the psychiatric ward of a hospital because uh, for alcoholic detox. So he was in detox. And he met a pastor there at Detox, a chaplain, and they had become friends. And he shared with the pastor that he was a member of the big church in town and that he had been a member there for 40 years. And he talked about how he moved into this town as a young man to start his insurance business. And he went to church because he, he just thought it would be a good business move. And, and then the, the pastor finally got the nerve to ask Harry. He said, Harry, 
do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? In which Harry responded, well, pastor, to be honest with you, I just go through the motions at church. I just go for my family because it's good that I go with them. And that's the only reason I go to church. It's boring and it really has nothing to do with me. And he continued, and although it doesn't look like it right now because I'm sitting in detox, but I really find spirituality uh, and my spiritual reality in my AA meetings. That's where I go for spirituality. For me, spirituality is trusting in my higher power to get me through each and every day. And the pastor responded to him and said, well, Harry, do you know the name of your higher power? And Harry quickly said, well, sure I do. It's higher power. That's his name. And the pastor went on and said, well, Harry, you know, the real name, the real name of your higher power is Jesus. And so these two formed a bond and a relationship. And, and Harry finally was uh, released from the hospital and he continued to hang out with this pastor. And a few weeks later, Harry, a man who found church to be boring and irrelevant, uh, said, to, uh, said yes to Jesus. And, and declaring him to be his higher power. And he would say it was the best moment of his life. And if several years later, Harry died of cancer. And he wrote in his will, he wrote this. He said, I want uh, this, his pastor to come and to do his funeral. And I want my pastor to tell everyone that how Harry Parrish came to know the name of his higher power. And his name is Jesus. You see, our, fresh, our, pa, our friend, Pastor Dan, he stumbled into an outside view of the church. He'd stumbled into what people on the outside viewed church as. And then Harry, Harry discovered what people on the inside thought about church, that church was irrele irrelevant and boring. However, both Starbucks employees and Harry, they have one thing in common. And that one thing was this, that neither of them found spiritual reality inside the church. And if we're honest, if we're really honest, the church doesn't always seem relevant. Or it's not always able to meet the practical needs of people today. And for that reason, I want to share with you from my heart today. I want to share with you from my heart the good news of the crucified and risen Jesus. And I want to share with you how Easter can change everything in your life too. And to do this, I just want to share some basic facts that I know about you. And I know a few things to be true about every single person in this room. That there are a few things that are true for every single one of us. And, 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 and how Easter can change every person in here. And the first thing that I know to be true about every single person in this room is this. That everyone needs love. Every single person needs love. We all have this basic need for love. And you might say, oh, I don't need love. But every single one of us has the basic need of being loved. And at the core of Christianity, at the very center of who we are as Christians is this idea of God's love for all people. That God loves every man and every woman and every child regardless of anything. He loves us. And that's why one of the first Bible verses that new believers learn is John 3.16. 
It's a familiar verse that you know that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That you see the tomb was empty because God loves you. The tomb was empty. Jesus came out of the grave because of his great love for you and for me. In fact, Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, we all need love. And because the tomb was empty, God's great and almighty and all-powerful and, and unconditional love is available to every single person. So we all need love. The second thing I know to be true about every single one of us in here is that everyone needs forgiveness. Not only do we need love, but we need forgiveness. Because here's the deal. None of us are perfect. Not one of us in this room is perfect. And one thing that I can promise you is that Warehouse Church is the perfect place for imperfect people. It's the perfect place for imperfect people. And here's the deal. If you're a, perf a perfect person, you're going to be miserable around here. Because this is the place for imperfect people. And all of us are imperfect. As a matter of fact, the Bible agrees with me. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned. That none of us are perfect. It says that none are righteous. Not even one. In other words, we're all messed up. The person next to you is just as messed up as you are. The person sitting behind you is just as messed up as you are because we're all imperfect. Now, th this does not mean that all of us are all bad, that all of us are all wicked or all of us are all evil. That's not what I'm saying. Many of us are quite good people. In fact, you probably are an amazing person, but I doubt that even you would claim to be perfect. And Harry, remember Harry, our friend Harry, he was one of the nicest guys you ever meet, except when he got drunk. And then he became one of the meanest guys you ever would meet. His wife loved him like crazy. But when he would lie through his teeth to her, denying that he wasn't back on the bottle, he would become wicked and mean. And Harry knew Harry knew that he wasn't perfect, and Harry knew that he needed help, and that's why he went to AA. That's why he declared his dependence on a higher power. What Harry discovered was that what he needed was a savior, that what he needed was to be rescued, that what he needed was a risen savior named Jesus. And just like Harry, all of us, all of us have a dark side. And, and, and we do. You, you know that. I know that. We all have a dark side. And it differs from person to person. At times, we are painfully aware of our shortcomings. And at other times, we are completely oblivious to our imperfections. But they're still there. They're always with us nonetheless because none of us are perfect. But remember this. And I want you to remember this. That Easter changed everything. The Apostle John reminds us in 1 John 1, 9, he says these words. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all 
unrighteousness. Even in the midst of our imperfections, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness of our sins, of our imperfections and our shortcomings. And all of that is possible because of the empty tomb. God knows you're not perfect. God knows that you don't have it all together. And check this out. You don't have to have it all together to come to God. You don't have to wait until your life's straightened to get to God. You don't have to wait until you get your life cleaned up to come to God. He doesn't care about where you've been. He doesn't care what you've done. All he cares about is this, that he loves you. He loves you no matter what. And he wants to forgive you. So we all are imperfect. And here's the third thing I know about every one of us is everyone needs transformation. We all need transformation. We all need God to come and transform our lives. And once you realize that you're not perfect and once you realize that God loves you anyways and once you realize that you need to confess your sins and put your trust in him, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to transform you into a brand new person. See, the person you are right now is not the person that God desires and designed for you to be. And God loves you. Hear me. God loves you where you are, but he loves you way too much to keep you there. And so the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, therefore, if anyone is uh, in Christ, if anyone says yes to Jesus, the new creation has come. That old life is gone, it says. The past is gone. The way you used to be is gone, and the new life is here. You see, God wants to transform you, and the only way that God could do that is through the empty grave. The only way that God could do that was by raising from the dead, and because of that, we can be changed from the inside out. Fact number four that I know about everyone is that everyone needs community. Everyone needs community. Some of us, uh, Starbucks, let's take Starbucks for example. It's a community of sorts. I mean, some people just rush in, buy their coffee and head off to work, but some people go and they linger in there. They linger in a Starbucks or another coffee shop and, and they begin to have community because they get, begin to meet the people that, uh, that often um, frequent the store and they begin to build community. In Florida, before we moved to Kentucky, I used to go to Starbucks every Wednesday. I don't like coffee. Uh, a matter of fact, I'd, I'd hate coffee. Like, you will never see me drinking coffee. But I'd go to Starbucks because I knew that that's where people were. And I'd go to hang out with people. And so on Wednesday morning, I'd take my laptop, I'd sit down, I'd, I'd work on my sermon, I'd talk to people, I'd get to know the workers, I'd get to know the people that are, off the, that are regulars there. And, and there was this group of people that would always sit outside on the patio at the Starbucks I went to. And they would always come at about the same time, around 9.30, uh, a couple guys would come first, they'd pull all the tables together. And before you know it, there was like six people around this table. Uh, one of them brought their dog, even had like a little pad for their dog to sit on. The dog would sit there, they would all say hi to each other, and they would do life together, and they would just have conversation for the next three hours. Like, they were there when I, after I left, and I would leave around 11.30 noon, and they were still there having conversation. But why did they do that? They did that because people need people. Community is such a big deal. We realized that during COVID when we didn't have community, but now we realize that we need each other, and the family of God, community is so important. And when we say yes to Jesus... When we say yes to Jesus, we become a part of a special community, a special community that was only made available because the tomb was empty, because Easter changed everything. And the family of God, the church, that local chapter of Sin Sinners Anonymous became that community. 
You see, Warehouse Church is a place where we can come together. And we can come together from all walks of life, all ages, all nationalities, all languages, all economic philosophies bound together in one common faith. And the risen Christ in a place that we call the church. And that is only possible because Easter, because the tomb was empty. You see, Easter changed everything. And I want to be the first to tell you that the local church, it's not perfect. If you're looking for a perfect church, you're not going to find it. You're going to just hop from one church to the other looking for it because it doesn't exist. And the perfect church doesn't exist because it's made up of imperfect people. But I thank God for the church because when the church is functioning the way that Jesus uh, designed it to function, it becomes a safe place. It becomes a safe place where we can bear one another's burdens. It becomes a safe place where we can encourage one another. It becomes a safe place where we can find out that we are better together because we need community. And the last thing that I know about everyone in this room is this, is that everyone needs a mission. Everyone needs a purpose. And I don't know about you, but I always want to be engaged in something bigger than myself. And and even after I retire as a pastor... I can promise you, I'm probably not going to take up golf. I'm probably not going to take up fishing. I'm going to find some other mission that's bigger than me to be involved in. And then I plan continuing to live my life on mission. And, and we even have a mission here at Warehouse Church. And our mission is this. We exist to be a church where more people experience transforming relationships through Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's why we do what we do. Uh, Personally, I have a mission statement for my own life. And it's this. It's to love, grow, obey, and influence so that others may know Jesus. You see, I love men and women in history who have this vision beyond themselves to serve God and to carry out his mission. It's always fascinated me. I've read books about these kind of people. One of them that comes to mind is Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham, the evangelist, he, he preached to live audiences of 210 million people in over 185 different countries over his lifespan. And through his crusades, more than 3.2 million people gave their lives to Jesus. I love people like that who live their lives from, from life to death. They live their lives that in between of born and died, they live their lives on mission. And he's just one of many in our Christian faith who sees living the Christian life as not being boring and irrelevant. And so I wonder, I wonder what's your mission in life? What's God calling you to in your life? I wonder what your mission is. Maybe God's calling you to love your family more. Maybe God's mission in your life is to be a missionary. Maybe God's mission in your life is just to be a witness at your job. Maybe your mission in life is to be a better dad. What's God calling you to in your life? Listen, church, here's the deal. Easter changed everything. Easter has been transforming lives for over 2,000 years, and it could change your life today. So this morning, I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to look at the claims of the risen Jesus. Look at the claims of the one who said, I came so that everyone would have life and have it fully. I challenge you to accept the resurrected life as your own life. 
I challenge you to be engaged in the mission of sharing that life with others wherever God sends you. And so as we wrap up today, and as the worship team comes, let me just share with you, extend to you three invitations this morning. The first invitation is this, and it's the most important one. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you this morning. I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus today. I want to invite you to recognize that you are not perfect. Then I want to invite you to repent of your sin and to accept into your life the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. The second invitation is for those of us who have been coming to church for a long time. Or maybe you just come to church on Christmas and Easter. And maybe you're just recognizing, you know what, I'm a little bored with my life. I'm a little bored with the church and you need a fresh touch of God to reach out and touch you today. You are looking for a new sense of mission. And if that's you, I want you to know that God has dreams for you. That God has a vision for your life of what he could do through you if you would just be willing. So if God is speaking to you, let me just invite you to respond and just say, here I am, Lord. I'm tired of being an idol. I'm tired of being neutral. I'm tired of just sitting around. I want to be used by you. Just respond to God. Say, here I am. Accept God's claim on your life to be in mission to others in his name. You see, he has chosen people like you and me to change the world. And the third invitation is for everyone in this room. I just want to invite you to come back next week as we continue this conversation of discovering God's calling on our lives. I hope you know that because Easter changed everything, God has a calling on each and every one of your lives. God wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something that can only be done through your life. So I just want to encourage you and invite you to keep coming. Come next week. You won't be disappointed as you discover God's calling in your life. So as we wrap up, let me just ask, what does Starbucks and Harry and Dan and Billy Graham and the church and you all have in common? Here's what it is. Every one of us needs love. Every one of us needs forgiveness. Every one of us needs transformation. Every one of us needs a community. And every one of us needs a mission worthy of this life and the life to come. This is the abundant life on earth and the life yet to come. And it is available to each and every one of us for the sole reason of this, that Easter changed everything. He's not there. He's risen just like he said. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for conquering death so that we might have a relationship with you. We thank you for life Lord, we thank you that Jesus said long before he died on the cross and rose from the dead that he came so that we might have life and have it to its full. And God, Easter made that happen. The empty tomb made that possible. 
And Lord, there are so many people that are living this life. They're living mediocre lives. They're living, living lives just to make it through the day when they could be living your life, when they could be living a life full of hope and purpose and joy and forgiveness. Because that's what Easter did. That's what the empty tomb did. It gave us hope. It gave us joy. It gave us life. It gave us forgiveness. It gave us transformation. Father, if there's someone in this room today that's never said yes to you, and today's the day, Father, I pray that they would just pray this prayer. I'm gonna pray it, and they can just pray it back to you. Just pray this prayer. If you said yes to Jesus this morning, just, just pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that I've tried to live life my way and it hasn't worked out for me. God, I know that I'm not perfect. And I know that you don't care that I'm not perfect. And so Lord, today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. And I ask to be a part of your family so that I might experience the life that comes with Easter. A life of purpose and joy, a life of forgiveness and transformation. God, would you come and be my Lord and Savior today? And then, Lord, I know there's people here that they feel like church has let them down, like Christians have let them down, and it's no longer relevant in their lives, or maybe it's boring. Father, I pray that you would just blow a fresh wind into their hearts. God, I pray that you would give them an excitement that they've never had before, an excitement to love you, to live for you, and to tell others about you. So Lord, if that's you, and folks, if that's you, I just want you to pray with me this. Dear Jesus, thank you for Easter. God, I've recognized that I'm stuck in neutral right now. Lord, I have been complacent. I've been a spectator, not a participant. Father, would you just breathe into me new life so that I might have that purpose in my life again, so I might be excited about serving you and loving you. God, thank you for Easter changing everything, including my life. I love you, Lord. Father, we thank you. Thank you for Easter. Thanks for the empty tomb. Thanks that Easter changed everything for us. In your name we pray. Amen. As we wrap up with our closing song, I just want to invite you. This is our altar area, and you are welcome to come down here, and you are welcome to pray. And we would love for you to do that, and that's it just this is your home. You come and you pray. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm on the front row. Just tap me, look at me, wink at me. I'll come and I'll pray with you. I'd be honored to do that, but you come, and you just spend time with the Lord. Maybe invite him to come and give you that fresh wind. Maybe come and say, God, I'm, I'm sealing the deal with you. I'm saying yes to you. Whatever it is, you come today.